0: This is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the first Sunday of Advent in cycle C, November 28, 2021. It's interesting to me that sometimes we don't think about the fact that the first Sunday of Advent is the first Sunday of the new liturgical year. And this year, uh, the majority of the gospel readings, uh, especially during ordinary time, are going to be from the Gospel of Luke. That's why it's called Cycle C, A is Matthew, B is Mark, which we just finished, and C is Luke. And John is scattered throughout there, particularly at special occasions. The church ended the previous liturgical year, the cycle B, telling us again about Christ's second coming and how that we need to live each day as though that coming could be today or tomorrow or, or the next day, or maybe even in the next minute. In preparing to celebrate his first coming, that is Advent, the church uses readings that deal with the second coming to remind us to begin with the end in mind, our earthly death and entry into eternal life. With that, let's take a look at the first reading, which is, and I'm sorry for the shuffling the pages, from Jeremiah chapter 32, 14 to 16. You notice that some of these readings over the last several Sundays have been very short, And again, this one's very short and it's a prophecy. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet uh, and uh, he was a prophet when uh, the the people were being exiled and and were in exile. He says, the days are coming, says the Lord. And again, that word Lord is uh, the one that uh, in the Jerusalem Bible is translated Yahweh. uh, And in uh, the ancient or the more ancient English Bibles, it would have been Jehovah. Uh, and it's the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. It says, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fill the promise I made to the house of Israel and Judah. Okay, well, when did he make that promise? Well, he made a promise, several promises. He made a promise as early as immediately after the fall and before Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden that he would send a savior. He made the promise again uh, that David would have a heir on his line forever. And so he, that promise was made. Uh, and we see that same promise uh, several times. And, and it goes on to say, In those days, in that time, when the time is right, that in Greek the word is the kairos, the appropriate time, I will raise up for David a just shoot. Now, shoot is uh, I, I recently had some uh, beavers gnaw down some fruit trees that I had and I cut them back to the ground so that somebody wouldn't hurt themselves on the stumps and the shoots are coming back up, which reminds me so much of that uh, uh, in, in the book of Job, which I believe is chapter 14, verse 9, it says there's always hope for a tree. Let it scent water and it'll send out fresh shoots. And, and that's what has happened with these, these trees that were planted on a creek bank And God is, at this time, when Jeremiah is prophesying, things are pretty bleak for the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham and Jacob. They are in a predicament, and religion is probably at a low point in their lives, and they are being uh, hammered by their enemies. But he's saying that in the proper time, when the time has arrived, he's going to raise up a shoot for David. There's not been, there's not David's lineage is pretty well defunct at this point in time, but he's going to raise up a shoot. So he's even though the, the house of David will have been chopped off to the ground, he's going to raise up a shoot off of that stump. And in, in, in other places, he talks about the stump of Jesse, that he will raise that off. And let's look at Isaiah 42, or pardon me, 4, verse 2. It says, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. So after the return from Babylon and several hundred years after that, Jesus is going to come. And with with Jesus coming, the Messiah, what Jesus means, Yahweh saves. It's the same as the name Joshua. And it means that the fruit the people of Israel, the new Israel will become fruitful. He, the opportunity was given to the house of Israel first when Jesus was walked around uh, Galilee and, and Judah for those, for those people who were the physical descendants of Abraham and Jacob to receive the fruit, become fruitful again, but they chose to remain barren. So we, most of us who do not have any uh, Jewish ancestry, uh, are the benefactors of the fact that we were the ones that were chosen then to be fruitful. He shall do what is right in the land. So he's going to do justice. He's going to he's going to be righteous. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to be there to do all that needs to happen, that should be happening, that hasn't been happening among the people. Let's look at another couple of uh, verses out of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter three, verse eight. Now hear, O Joshua the high priest. Isn't that interesting that the high priest is Joshua, which is the same as Jesus. Jesus is the uh, later version of that, the Greek version of Joshua. And Jesus is, we studied so much in Hebrews recently, Jesus is that high priest, the ultimate high priest. He says, now here, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men of good omen. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. So the Jesus is going to be the new Joshua, he's going to be the new high priest, and he is going to be this branch that sprouts up from the ground. Look again at Zechariah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Zechariah is, is important because he's one of the later prophets. And it says, take for them silver and gold and make a crown and set it upon the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch for he sh- shall grow up in his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And there shall be a priest by his throne, and peaceful understanding shall be between them both. Well, Jesus fulfills both roles as priest and king. And it's a, this is a, although it's talking about something immediately that's going to happen, a prophecy of that, it is also a prophecy of what the Messiah was going to be. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look at Jeremiah 23, verses five through eight. Eight. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Again, righteousness is, 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 is means it, what is the right thing to do? What, what is, is what should be. A righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when men shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, but as the Lord who brought up and led the descendants of the house of israel out of the north country which would be babylon and out of the countries where he had driven them they shall dwell in their own land so we are in a sense the people of the dispersion ourselves And remember, uh, the land of the north, if that's Babylon, that name Babylon means confusion. So God is wanting to, as I've said so many times, God is wanting to take us out of the confusion that we have in our lives and bring us into wisdom and and a right relationship with him. So let's go on. Uh, Let's look at the New Jerusalem Bible note on Jeremiah 23. Note A, it says, branch was later to become a proper name and a messianic title. And let's look at note b which is on these same verses the, the this this symbolic name see isaiah one twenty six note n given to the messiah is contrasted with this the name jehos Jedes- Jedekiah which means yahweh is my saving justice so we have prophecies here of the Messiah that's to come and and it says goes on and it says in those days says days judah shall be safe and jerusalem shall dwell secure this is what they shall call her the lord our justice uh and that note b is is it's very um, from jeremiah 20 23 is telling us that god is our justice let's look at the gospel the gospel again is not it's just uh, a few verses it's next six verses in all, and there's something skipped in the middle. It's Luke 21, verses 25 to 28, and then jumps to 34 to 36. And the parallel for the first part of this, at least, is in Matthew 24, 29 to, I believe, 30, uh, 31, and Mark 13, 26 to, uh, I've, I can't read my writing, excuse me, 24 to 26. And it says, Jesus said to disciples, and again, remember, disciples means learners, so Jesus has said to those who are sitting at his, beside him who, as his learners. So the, the rabbi had disciples. Jesus is the ultimate rabbi here, and he has his followers who are learning from him, just as the disciples of another rabbi would have learned from that particular rabbi, just as Paul learned from the rabbi Gamaliel. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on earth nature, nations will be in dismay. Now that signs, uh, the Hebrew word for that means indications. So you will see these things, and you will know immediately that it's an indication that something's about to happen. And this dismay, we're translating as dismay here in the New, in the uh, New American Bible, is uh, one that really means anxiety. So there would be m- much anxiety. Sounds a lot like we have in our own times right now, not just in uh, the United States but in a lot of places around the world, there's a lot of anxiety because there's so much happening that it seems unusual, something that we wouldn't think that would normally have to happen. And the earth perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves is what's, what's causing the anxiety. Now, Psalm 65, verse seven, uh, it says, and I'm going to quote from the New Jerusalem Bible this time. Uh, it's what I happened to write down from. You calm the turmoil of the seas, the turmoil of their ways. The nations are in uproar, in panic, those who live at the ends of the earth. Now, I, I just thought about this. this. This again reminds me of Jonah, where Jonah, trying to escape from God, got on a ship, and he caused turmoil. He caused confusion. He caused fear and anxiety in the lives of all those sailors as the high winds came. He, God was trying to get him back where God wanted him. And it took a storm on God's part to get Jonah's attention. And remember, Jonah was in the storm. He was asleep in the bottom, in the, down in the, the bottom of the boat, and they brought him up. And when he was tossed in the, the sea, a, sw- a, a fish swallowed him and three days later spit him up on the land close to where he got on the ship in the first place. So God allows storms and, and all sorts of turmoil to come into our lives when we do things that cause our lives to be out of order. We can disorder our own lives and we suffer the consequences of that. We don't, we don't really need to blame God. Jonah never would have been in a storm. He never would have been swallowed from a fi- by a fish. If he had been obedient to the word of God and in our own lives, oftentimes when we have all this turmoil in our lives, these stormy times, frequently it's because we are out of order and we put ourselves in situations where our lives can be in this turmoil and these storms. And so, but God is there. And if you remember in the story of Jonah, God calmed the sea when he got the means to get Jonah back where he needed to be and the sailors were saved. And in the process, there was a conversion among the sailors that recognized Jonah's God as the God who controlled the seas. (coughs) Excuse me. It says people will die of fright and uh, alarm, fright. We don't see a lot of people die of fright these days, but there are a lot of people that are shortening their lives by allowing all the things that they fear to work on them, uh, some people tell us that when you are fearful all the time, it changes some of the chemistry in your body as your body tries to react and respond to the fear, and can cause all kinds of illness, uh, perhaps a heart attack, for example. If you get things enough out of and in anticipation, what is coming on the world? So, are, are you fearful? of what's coming on the world? If you are, yes, that's probably pretty natural for a human being, uh, for a human being. From a human perspective, we live in this world. And when we see a disruption of what we think should be the order of the world, we become dismayed. We become agitated. We become fearful. If our eyes though are on God and upon the eternal life, if we keep, Start with the end in mind. If we are always looking forward to the eternal life that God wants us to have, or if you have read John Ricardo's book, Heaven Starts Now, we are supposed to have a taste of heaven here on earth now as a foretaste of what we will be experiencing in heaven. And it's available to us, but we have to pursue it. How we can't sit around and mope and, and do all the things that we would do that would cause us to get into situations like Jonah or some of the other people that we see in the Bible who got into situations where they, their lives were totally out of order, and they found all sorts of consequences of their sin and their disorder that caused them problems. And they, oftentimes they were very much in dismay and having a hard time, but the others we see that looked at the end. When we look at the lives of people like Maximilian Colby uh, Father Walter, I believe it's Chizak. Uh, we look at the life of uh, Pierre Giorgio Frassetti. Uh, we look at the life of Mother Teresa. Uh, we look, you, you just look, and there are a lot of modern day saints that had so much in their lives. And the, the young blessed uh, who was uh, the, like a saint of the internet now, and I from Italy, and I cannot recall his name. He had a fatal disease, and yet he went on living and evangelizing and doing all the things that God wanted him to do because he was preparing himself for his eternal reward. He says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the powers of the heaven, you have to remember that the idea of a lot of people at, this, at the time when Luke was writing, particularly the Greek culture, uh, and, and into that case also in the Middle East, the idea was that there were spirits in the spheres above the earth, which could be angels, but they were in control of things there, and that each country had at least one angel up there in the sphere. And so, all what this is saying, and it says all being disrupted, the order, the order in the heavens has become disorder, and that disorder has is come to the earth, and so we we have to see that there's. Something more than that, and then he says, and then they will see the Son of Man. Remember, the Son of Man is the name that Jesus called himself. We heard about the Son of Man uh, in the prophecies from last week and the, or the week before, and Jesus talking about that in the Book of Mark, or Gospel of Mark, coming in a cloud and with great with great power and glory. So this is the second coming. So what does that all mean? It means a lot. In Luke nine twenty seven, which is Long before this we see, but I tell you too, there are some sta- here, standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God came through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the earth. The kingdom of God penetrated through all that was there, overpowered the powers of darkness, the powers of evil, and penetrated. And the church that Jesus founded worked from twelve, basically from twelve men, and base and conquered the Roman Empire. Uh, yes, the Roman Empire fell because of attacks from uh, what they would call barbarians, non-Romans. But the cause was of the weakness that came upon the society and and the lifestyle of the people, and we have to be very careful in our own lives in our own country that we are the ones that do not allow ourselves to, to succumb to the culture that says that anything you do is okay and that all sorts of, of perversities are taking place. We do not need to be a part of that. Okay, so let's look. Then one of the other things that, that is a, a reference in here, cross-reference in here, is that pa- passage in Daniel 7, 13 and 14 that we had last week. It says, I saw the night in the night visions and behold, With the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. We can look again uh, at Luke chapter uh, 18, verses 7 and 8, and it says, And God will not vindicate his elect... Who cry to him day and night? We, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Lord, the Son of Man, comes, will he find faith on earth? Are you going to be? Is he going to find you faithful? But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Why should you do that? Why should you do that? Hebrews ten. 10:37 says, "For yet a little while, and the coming one shall come and not tarry Let's look. at Jesus talked about the the the, the master that had gone away, and in Luke 12:45 to 46. But if that servant says to himself, "My master is delayed in coming," and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know, and he will punish him and put him with the unfaithful. Are you living today as though your master Jesus Christ is coming back today, or are you doing all sorts of things that you want to do, that the world says you should do, or taking taking it easy? Uh, You—that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, beware that your hearts do not become drowsy drowsy is means be asleep it could be a and from carousing and drunkenness and carousing and drunkenness are very closely associated here so when as your mind clouded are you are you allowing yourself to be intoxicated with something that is not of god is the world the flesh and the devil in charge or are you in charge all right beware that. And the anxieties of daily life. We can look at that and at the parable of the sower. And it says, and as for what fell among thorns, those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. You may set fruit, but it's not going to mature. And that day catch you by surprise like a trap. So again, it's talking about that. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 7 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober for those who sleep at night and those who get drunk at night. All right, so we we need to to be alert alert, and aware. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Everybody's going to have to face it. The question is, are you going to be ready? And I always think of uh, Romans, well, we'll get to that later, uh, Romans 1, 17 says, for in the righteousness of God is revealed, for in it, the righteousness of God revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. And it, it goes on that says, for that day will assault everyone. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and stand before the son of man. Are you going to have the strength? Uh, if Paul didn't have the strength to face things, what about us? And he, he says, God said his grace is sufficient for him. Let's look at the second reading. There are a lot of scriptures associated with the section reading, and we probably won't get to them all because we've got about four minutes left. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 3.12 to 4.2. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. We can look at a couple of things. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, uh, a little bit earlier in this uh, letter see that none of you repays evil for evil but seek to do good to one another and to all not just your friends not just those people you go to church with but to the whole world let's look at romans 12 17 repay no one evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all and then he says just as paul says just as we have for you that says So Paul is saying, use me as an example. Uh, We need to go beyond where we are to where we ought to be. Uh, Finally, brother, to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones, amen. Finally, brothers and sisters, we earnestly ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that you, as you receive from us, how you should conduct yourselves to please God as you are conducting yourselves, do so even more. So what have you heard? Uh, I, I go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good good. And acceptable and perfect. If we hear God's word and we make it a part of ourselves, we're supposed to put it into practice. That's what James tells us. That faith without works is dead. If you hear the word, do what the word tells you. And uh, uh, let's take a look at. Uh, well, let's. We don't need to go there. For you do not, for you know what the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You heard what Paul said, you heard what he told you to do. Why aren't you doing it? And if we look at verse three, uh, three here, four three, uh, it says, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification." Other translations say your holiness, and that you abstain from immorality. So that's the will of God that we become holy. The note in the New Jerusalem Bible for this says, "It is God's will." that makes people holy. It is God who makes them holy. Christ has made himself our holiness. The Holy Spirit is involved in making us holy. Christians, however, must make use of the gift. The title the Holy Ones is common. And there are a number of uh, scriptural verses there uh, that go along with that. Uh, With that, I'm going to try to draw it to a close here, uh, mainly because uh, the whole thing here is talking about getting ourselves prepared doing the right thing. Uh, this hey, this new year, my hope for you is that this new year is one in which you grow in holiness, losing the uh, sin habits that cling to each of us so tenaciously. Perhaps it would be good to make a list of achievable New Year's resolution, rev, resolutions for this new uh, liturgical year so that we can accomplish this growth in holiness, that we can progress along the path of holiness. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. I wish, I hope that God will bless you abundantly this week, that you have a good week, and that we're able to get together again next week.